ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Halloween time is here. That's right, we're talking the 2018 version of Halloween on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Haddonfield, Illinois. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. Now, we're going to unpack all the gory details of the rebootical uh, known as Halloween 2018 in the hopes that a babysitter's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we could make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person that I trust that if I get stuck in a bus that has crashed, that she will make sure that her young son will shoot me accidentally. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Oh, happy almost Halloween, Patrick. Happy almost Halloween, Gina. I thought you were going to say that uh, I was the one person you could trust to to stop you from being yanked down on top of on, onto a, uh, a metal fence and a horrible death. <laughs> there's well listen if we're talking horrible deaths this movie is chock full of them that there's there's an overflowing giving cup of horrible death in this movie it's there's no lack for it oh absolutely not i mean if you if you came away from watching the original halloween thinking huh that was not bloody at all because it wasn't you will be you will be more than compensated for in, in in this movie. That's absolutely true. Now, before we go any further, there's a couple things we should get out of the way. I just want to assure you, Gina, we are alone. We don't have a special guest this week. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Got to juggle have, this by ourselves. <laughs> there's zero backup here, so we are just going uh, uh, on this rogue as they call it uh the second thing is if you are a member of our audience and have downloaded this um and have not seen halloween which is entirely possible you th- first of all thank you for downloading us secondly hit pause go see halloween it's it's worth your time and effort and uh then come back to us because we are going to spoil the living hell out of this thing because i don't think there's any other way to talk about it other than than to get into the details uh do you agree jenna yeah i mean unless you want to say like you know when this thing happens to character b that was really (laughs) cool and that that's just gonna sound a little a little forced and awkward I could barely get past that second level of algebra. I'm not assigning people, you know, number amounts or letter grades or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just not going to be able to keep straight which one is which. No, no. I, I can barely keep straight which one is which. And and I have written down their names. Yeah, so, I, I had to open up the Wikipedia page because I realized I had already forgotten Judy Greer's character's name. Yes. I it's had to ca- keep looking it up. It's Karen, by the way. <laughs> it's Karen. It's, it's Karen. And that's not it. That's not a. Let me let me get, just say this out of the way. That's not a uh, a reflection on my feelings for the movie itself. Should we should we get that out of the way, or should we save that for well, the end? Let's do a quick sort of plot recap, and then m- maybe some broad strokes, uh, and then we can get into the meat of it. Uh, just to put everyone in the mindset of having just seen the film. Um, the movie it discounts all of the Halloweens that have come between the 1978 original and this one. You could basically call this H40 because H20 doesn't exist. Uh, neither does Halloween 2, uh, Halloween 3, Halloween 4, Halloween 5, Halloween 6, um, 
H2O, Resurrection, or any of the zombie Halloweens, which are also Halloween and Halloween 2. Yeah, so, that, that, that means no twist where Michael and Laurie are siblings. Yes. Uh, nothing where Michael Myers is part of uh, the cult of Thorn. Laurie <laughs> <laughs> Strode is not dead. And no. Michael Myers did not have a white trash childhood with a stripper mom where he was mercilessly bullied. No, no, no one calls anyone any gay slurs. There is not any scene in, in which a guy who has cleaned his bedpan for the past 20 years begs for his life before having his skull crushed. Listen, if you like the zombie Halloweens, it's quite all right. Everyone should like what they like. I, I liked the second one. OK, I very much disliked everything I saw in, in the first uh, zombie one. And I would go out on a limb as to to say this might be my f- the best Halloween sequel, <laughs> but that could change. <laughs> well, I mean, that isn't that isn't part three. Yeah, I would I would agree with you there. Yes, I mean, part three is, is is unto itself. It's basically season of the witch. I think the world would be a would have been a better place if every Halloween we got a crazy new horror movie out of the Halloween franchise, and it was just an anthology. Oh my god, the world would be so much better. Um, but that didn't happen because people were wieners, and <laughs> we were left with this. Goddamn wieners, all of them. Yeah, fucking wieners. There's so many wieners. The worst kind of wieners, too. greasy, flaccid, rubbery, overcooked. Not all, not all beef. We don't know what they're made out of. Probably, no, there's probably of- lips and anuses. <laughs> And listen, there's a lot of good meat on a pig's face. Let's let's not, you know, discount that. So what we come to in this film is that since the events of the original movie, Michael Myers has been institutionalized back in Smith's Grove. And I guess they've fixed the electricity. And Laurie Strode has obviously gone through hell and a half. She has not fully recovered mentally from the stress of this incident. It has caused you know damage in her life. She has been married twice. She's had one kid who's taken away from her at age 12. That ends up being Karen played by Judy Greer. Uh, and it is a, an intense strain on, on their relationship. And in the meantime, 40 years later, a pair of podcasters are summoned to Smith's Grove by a new doc, new crazy doctor of Michael Myers, who figures if you stand in the middle of a checkerboard outdoor space and yell, can you feel this mask? That'll finally break through. Yeah, break the ice. That I that was that's fairly early on in the movie and i there was at that point i was like oh i don't know i i i, I have i have a couple issues with that <laughs> plot angle mm-hmm. in that he is there are you know it's a little modern angle by having podcasters investigating the the you know or doing a story on you know, the, the michael myers case which apparently means they can just walk right into the the courthouse or the DA's office says, hey, can you give me the, the biggest piece of evidence in this case? They just <laughs> have the mask. They, they yeah. have the mask from 40 years from 40 years ago. And they're just <laughs> going to give it to this podcaster. 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I would not trust me to, to, to be given you know, evidence in, in a multiple murder case. But, yes. but these podcasters, you know, this kind of, you know, officious British guy and his, and his lady friend, you know, he just kind of walks right up to this guy and starts taunting him with this mask and the, and the, you know, the doctor's kind of just, yeah, no, go ahead. Let him, let's, let's just see what happens. No, really, yeah, yeah, let's no, just see what happens. <laughs> I mean, th- th- this is, this is something, well, there are two points that I need to make here. One is I think this is the one film that has finally put the stake into the heart of podcasting that we were all hoping for. It's been a good run. Goodbye, everyone. I think people are going to be calling for our heads from now on because this is the destructive power of podcasting set into motion. Secondly, is that everyone who isn't Michael Myers in this yard begins to howl like a wolf man. Yeah, there there's some sort of suggestion that the mask itself has this kind of otherworldly power over people. And, and again, I mean, there's maybe one guard <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this yard full of barely well, they're all chained, chained to cinder blocks. I, we're, we're really holding on to, to chain and cinder block technology here the, as a way the, to... The doctor seems mildly concerned that that, <laughs> that that this mask is causing their you know his patients to turn into possibly turn into werewolves it's it's but, a very it's a very kind of weird scene that you know the style of it is is not really repeated again later in the movie to to to, to the film's benefit because it's no pretty corny it is perhaps the lowest point well the second lowest point in the entire thing and um, there's one that is related to this that that may or may not sink lower, but it does bring up this this element to it that I I don't know if we should hold off into it or we should just go into it. But Doctor Satan, <laughs> which sounds like <laughs> I know I read I read I read his name. I look in the Wikipedia page. I'm like. Oh God! Really? That's his name. Jesus Christ! <laughs> First of all, Doctor Satan sounds like a hummus that makes you poop. Secondly, is that it turns out the Doctor Satan um, has a, a plan, and I guess the podcasters are a part of this. And this is to eventually free Michael Myers, and then track him passing himself off as a dr loomis style you know person who's yelling no he's real he's evil don't go in there but he really just wants to get close enough to see what michael does when he actually kills somebody in an effort to understand him which seems like Maybe his license should be taken away. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, it's a it's kind of a little one step further than than Doctor Loomis just basically declaring that he's just evil incarnate and there's yeah. nothing that could be done about him. And in fact, in a recording of someone doing a slightly passable impersonation <laughs> of Donald Pleasance, is just you know basically saying you know burn him to ash and salt the earth. That's the only. <laughs> It's the only way to get rid of him. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta roast him over an open flame, like like put him in a pizza oven and just let him go, <laughs> which is fine. But I, as far as plans go, this does not seem like a great plan. I, I don't know really what the point of this part was. Like, 
eventually uh, we learn that uh, Smith's Grove is going to be shut down and that Michael will be sent to a maximum security prison, which obviously may not be the best place for him. (laughs) Who knows what the best place is for him that isn't inside of a large station wagon driving when he's never been taught how to do it. But as a result of this, they they stack all of, of the people on a bus and lo and behold, uh, the bus has some sort of crash. We're not sure, but it turns out, I think what we're supposed to glean is that Dr. Satan <laughs> killed or stabbed both the guards with his crazy uh, harpoon pen. <laughs> it's a literal, literal harpoon. And um, that he caused this crash to, so that Michael might escape and that he could then follow him. He's only uh, stopped in, in catching up to Michael by one thing, which is a dad and his 12-year-old son who, in the scene leading up to this, the son saying, I don't want to go hunting every single weekend. I have a dance class and it's really important to me. <laughs> This is the best conversation that happens in this film. And there's <laughs> and a I lot of it. and there's a lot of quirky, humorous conversations in, the, in in this movie that kind of call some weird tonal shifts from time to time, but they're generally pretty entertaining. I think they're trying to capture the slice of life elements that are very much a part of the original Halloween. Only those slice of life elements are between main characters. And here we have a lot of them that occur with people we never see again or are about to be killed in tick, tick, tick now. Right. And that that is a that is a, a real problem. But uh, lo and behold, they find this bus crash. The dad gets out, says, stay in the car. The kid doesn't listen. And when the kid doesn't listen, gets out of that car, I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, this is nuts. Then he comes out with a gun and I'm going, okay, well, this is interesting. Then he shoots Dr. Satan because he doesn't like hummus and (laughs) he's spooked, I think. So he shoots Dr. Satan in in that sweet diehard spot where you don't die, but you're you're down for a couple seconds and then uh, gets back into the truck and is quickly killed by uh, Michael Myers, which if this movie wanted to amp up the danger levels to the point where at at one in one sequence Michael passes a baby and you're th- and the entire audience gasped yeah, anticipating yeah, infanticide too. because this has been set up like he doesn't care <laughs> like he's yeah, just I, I love it. you could see him just sitting there and he's like Nah, and then just walks yeah. away <laughs> it's almost like too easy exactly. i mean at least with the 12 year old he got a truck out of the deal this like <laughs> i'm not getting nothing out of this but both our audiences had a, a audible reaction to that, which I don't think would have been there had that other thing not happened. So right. I'll, I'll give the movie that. And then we have a very split focus, which I think is another one of the film's problems because we have this A story, which has to do with, with Laurie Strode and the aftermath of what happened 40 years ago. Then we have Karen, her daughter, who is trying to essentially lovingly cut Lori out of her life because she has has ruined her childhood and made her paranoid. She has tried to move past this. She's tried to build a life that does not include her crazy mother. And but but does it have, does include her incredibly dorky husband. 
<laughs> played by Toby Huss, who I cannot see without thinking of the Nickelodeon show he was on, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. And he also does. He also did the voice of Cotton of uh, of Cotton Weary on King of the Hill. <laughs> True. He, he's he, he also a has a very good Frank Sinatra, which he did in bumpers for MTV for a long time. Yeah, um, he, he's kind of got a little bit of a poor man's Richard Jenkins thing going on. Like a, like he a, does. You know, sort of nebbishy, bald, bald, middle-aged man who, you know, half the time he's talking and nobody's paying attention to what he's saying. Well, and they really, like, I think they're trying to set him up as kind of a lovable doofus. But when you shout in a room in a horror movie, oh, man, I got peanut butter on my dick. Now you're like sort of like irking into Rob Zombie territory. Like, right, where the little, you're kind of verging onto, you know, a little grotesque. Yes. And I don't, I don't know that they were intentionally referencing Zombie with that, but that would feel very at home with the tone that he presented in his two films. It feels unnecessary here. Like all of a sudden, vice principals broke out in the middle of this. <laughs> and. You can understand why, because the writer and sometimes director of Vice Principals are involved here. I just think it's funny that he, uh, and, and again, we're we're gonna we're gonna spoil this, so you, you've been warned. He is killed later in the movie, and I don't think anybody at any point after that asks where he is. Yes, no. <laughs> and it sort of reminds me of um, what was that show with the where Will Ferrell played the fake author. Um, this, uh, this, oh yes, the spoils of oh. Babylon. My yeah, favorite yeah. character in it was was Michael Sheen's character, who I believe played <laughs> Kristen Wiig's second husband. And mm. it just sort of mentions later until he died, and nobody noticed. <laughs> and then, then it's just like, <laughs> it's like, and it's like, it's like, it's like, there's plenty of time for 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 Karen, uh, Judy Greer's character. To to ask to, to to stop someone and and ask, hey, where's Ray? Where's my husband? You know, <laughs> but no, she she never does. But you know, he you know slows Michael down for a half a second. He also makes one of the best discoveries in the entire movie, and we really get to see a full breadth of Michael Myers' indoor outdoor uh, decorator here uh when this police car sort of coasts to a stop right in front of the house and we learned that the two cops that were inside of it one has had his throat slashed from every possible way and the other guy has had his entire head and skull hollowed out and a flashlight has been inserted inside to make him a human jack-o'-lantern that took some time which, <laughs> that's it, that takes, first of all, you have to be a craftsman. Second of all, that takes a lot of time. There's a lot of bone up in there. There's a spinal cord there. Have you, crying I mean, out loud. You, 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 you've carved a jack-o'-lantern. You have a kid. Yes. I mean, just, just just scraping out of the of the, uh, of the the seeds and all the, the pumpkin goop. That takes forever. <laughs> yeah, does he even have the tools to do that? What is he using to do that? Because just a kitchen knife ain't going to help you with all of that stuff. Now I hate this movie. Um, it's not really true. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's, there's a, it is true though that that, that shows an elaborateness to his kills that he never really had in, in any of the other movies, you know, whether it's the first, the original or, or any of the sequels, usually he was just like, you know, you know, eh, stab, done, walk away, move to the next, 
you know, move to the next victim, you know, yep, strangled, done, walk away, move to the next victim. He never really, you know, it's sort of like, you know, to, to fall back on what we're talking about with um, the reboot of Friday the 13th is this is like, this is like a different style that doesn't fit with the, you know, what we've come to know this character as. And I'm not sure what I think about it because again, in, in the rest of the movie, everything's pretty quick and gory but this one's like okay he's just gonna you know no name cop he's just gonna take in you know a lot of time trying to you know, create this uh this this uh scene yeah there's a scene for this you know other character to 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 briefly witness before he's murdered himself um it is obviously i think they're they're trying to give us again hearkening back to the friday the 13th reboot that movie is trying to be four different friday the 13th and I think this is trying to be every Halloween movie, every single one. It's like we got a little something for since we took everything out of the rotation, we're going to give you a flavor of it all. And when he stomps on Dr. Satan, oh. <laughs> which I mean, that that motherfucker did not skip leg day. Let's put this out there right no, now. Michael they, Myers they, 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 did not skip leg day. That that, that oatmeal budget was uh was, was high for that special effects crew. <laughs> but like that is something again straight out of the zombie version of Halloween. And the grislier elements of this, like when he just pins somebody to the wall, I'll buy that. As far as like how he elaborate he gets with like presenting his kills, as elaborate as it gets in the first film is you have uh, Nancy, who is laid laid out on a bed with Judith Myers' gravestone, which he picked up Slug out around. of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so we should say, for a man with his frame, he is very strong because he took that out of the ground and then walked it up the fucking stairs by himself. I used to deliver oak furniture, and I can tell you, taking something heavy up the stairs is difficult and really a partner can help. Uh, so that is impressive enough as it is. And then the boyfriend is just put underneath the, the ghost sheet and uh, totally is his name. I cannot remember PJ souls. It's just stuffed into a closet, which I guess is why it, why the same thing happens in the boy next door. Is that a Halloween reference? Oh, they, probably. They're, they're, they, 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 they all reference each other, I think. Yeah. And they all think um, they're so clever when they do it, too. Uh, so and when it comes to that, like, I, I can see some amount of precedence in it. Also, it's a very different time. You know, this is between 78 and now. We have seen the gamut of what a slasher movie can do. So presenting a little bit of everything, I'll kind of like... I liked the kills. I liked the end results. I think they did a really good job with the practical effects. And I think they had moments that if I were to open up the very next uh, edition of uh, a Fangoria and see the Capo lantern in it, I would go, yeah, that's why they did that. <laughs> you want that spread <laughs> in Fangoria magazine. It's a very Fangoria moment. So I guess I'll I'll give it a pass on that. Um, but this also brings up the other element that is very different from the original Halloween. The original Halloween has a linear idea, and that is Michael Myers escapes after he kills his sister. He 
goes to Smith's Grove. He escapes on the night before Halloween and heads back to Haddonfield. He goes to his own house and eats a dog. And (laughs) which is not an element I always remember. But when I watched it the other night, I'm like, he eats a fucking dog. That's the impression they're giving. He went to his house and ate a dog. In the middle of that meal, he's interrupted by Laurie Strode, who's delivering keys so that someone else can go and look at that house later because they're going to sell it to, I don't know, someone who wants to use it as a uh, as a dynamite experiment space. I don't know what you would use that house for. <laughs> a place to shoot bottles. But she shows up with the kid that she babysits. And that is why Michael Myers then stalks them for the next hour of the film. He sees a girl who's approximately the same age as his his sister and a kid the approximate age he was when he killed his sister. That makes sense to me. I don't know why people go, what are his motivations? He's fixated on the thing, the, the biggest incident in his entire life when he killed his sister when he was six years old. It's not that fucking hard to put together, but it's yeah, very and, linear. And he's been, you know, and he's been, you, you know, you've stowed away in this hospital for some 20 odd years. And so he he's running this incident over his mind. So once he fixates on these two, he does stalk them. He goes to her school. He goes to the kids school. He follows Lori to the place where she's babysitting, which is also where that kid happens to be. And everything that happens in result is is because he just fixates on these these three women because Lori came to his house. That's it. So it's very simple. And because of that, we can have these 10 minute sequences where they're just talking in a car about boys. And you that's where you get all the amazing dialogue that that uh, Deborah Hill wrote that may, that flushes out those teen characters to the point where you understand they're really real frenemies and this we have Lori, and then you have karen and then you have allison and then you have allison's friend and then you have dr uh hummus that makes you poop (laughs) and you have podcasters fucking podcasters god damn podcasters jesus I, my happiest moment is when they die in a dirty bathroom. They're the worst <laughs> kind of people. <laughs> but I, I think that's why I, I feel like some of this doesn't work for everybody because there's so many. It's not very simple. It's much more complicated. And once you do that, the the chances of something not working, dragging the rest down are much higher. Well, there's this, you know, there are a few practical questions that that I have, like, why did Laurie stay in the town? Which, which Mm -hmm. is, I, I, I don't know. Me personally, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy where I live, but it's something that traumatizing to me happened in a specific place. I would not stay in that place, nor would I, I certainly wouldn't raise my child there. And I just, there's a certain sort of like odd sense that nobody can leave, which is, which is like, I, I don't know. I don't quite, I mean, I realize the answer is because the script declared it that, that, you know, they, they can't leave, but, but, you know, why would she not put several thousand miles between her and Haddonfield, Illinois, the, 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 the first second she got? 
Well, I, I, this sounds like a very interesting movie. And I think what you should do right now is pop in a copy of 1998's H2O. Because that's exactly what you're talking about. Lori moves all the way to Northern California to a rich upper crust uh, prep school to raise her son far away from the events of Hadfield, Illinois. But it turns out it's not nearly far enough when who's this man? Uh, Let me look at my notes. Michael Myers escapes from Smith's Grove and managed to get all the way across the fucking country to hunt them down on Halloween night. Yeah, but that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's stupid, but I haven't told you the best part. And that is LL Cool J plays a security guard who also moonlights as a man who writes erotic urban fiction. <laughs> I, you know, I, to me, many of the Halloween sequels post part four kind mm-hmm. of just glom together for me. They're there. I, I can't tell the difference between one or the other. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, four and five are the same fucking movie. They, they're just, they're they just pretty basically are. They're the same movie. And I, I don't remember was resurrection. The one that was some sort of like fear factor type shit. Yes. Like resurrection is the one in which, in which <laughs> Buster rhymes. Yes, he does like Kung called, Fu. Yeah. Yes. They showed a, they showed that clip before, before the movie at the theater I was at. So, <laughs> but like, I, I, like I only saw H2O like once and, and resurrection once. I was like, I can't remember which one, what, what happens in which one, but yeah. you know, in, in, you know, in, in practical terms, he probably would not be able to successfully murder and hitchhike his way all the way from Illinois <laughs> to California, nor do I think he'd know how to, you know, to track her down. So mm-hmm. I, I, I still ask, you know, why did she stay, you know, in, in the, you know, the very heart of, you know, where her most traumatizing, the most traumatizing event of her life took place. But I mean, again, that's a completely rhetorical question. It's not answered. No one asks. So it's just my issue alone. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a quibble with an otherwise, you know, reasonably enjoyable movie. Yes, I think it is reasonably enjoyable. For me, it was a solid B. I don't know that this is going to be something I'm going to return to over and over again. It's not an embarrassment. It's not something someone should hide their head in shame over. It's it's a mostly good movie that has some issues with it. Like you're talking about, it would have been nice if there was a sequence in which Karen you know, confronts Laurie and said, we could have done all of these things. We could have gone somewhere else. We could have run away. We could have done X, Y, and Z. And Laurie go, I couldn't leave. I had to stay here until he came. I'm the only one who can stop him. It would at least explain what her, what her thing is beyond her, the one sequence, which is in, in the trailer where she says, I prayed for him to, to escape every single night so that when he broke out, I could kill him is okay. That's, that's one thing, but it uh, doesn't really explain the need to stay in Haddonfield. It, it would have been nice. I don't think it would have taken them very long. They could have cut down the dinner sequence of Toby Huss talking about tripping balls with her daughter's new boyfriend's dad, um, yeah, which goes is interminable. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I will say, you know, in, in very much in the movie's favor, you can definitely tell 
that everybody involved in it, you know, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, all really and for true love the original movie. I mean, you could you'd see a lot of reboots, particularly in horror, where you could tell the people involved don't 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 care for horror as a genre very much, let let alone, you know, the the original source material that they are remaking or rebooting but there's mm. there's a lot of love went into this but yes. but at the same time i i i am unsure if they were the right people to make the movie because again my biggest issue was near constant tonal shifts like there is a very funny sequence in which uh, karen's daughter uh, Allison. Allison. Her best friend is Vicky. She is babysitting this little boy named Julian, who is who is the very much the 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 MVP of the of the movie. He is a, <laughs> I agree. He is a delightful, wisecracking child. Um, uh-huh. and he and Vicky get into an argument over Vicky speaking in code to her boyfriend, and 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 Julian knowing that what she's talking about is the boyfriend's going to come over and they're going to smoke weed, and it, mm. it's hilarious. It's it's very funny, and then literally like maybe. Five minutes later, Vicky is being brutally stabbed to death, and it's yeah. just like, and we never see Julian again. He just, he just like no. runs out of the house. And I'm like, well, I hope he, he's okay. He runs down the stairs and tells Dave, "Don't go up there, or you will die." So, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's got to pull together. Yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully he's all right. You know, I mean, but, yeah. But, you know, and then you've got like an even bigger version of this. You you mentioned the the cop, you know, the, the, the cop lantern or the skull lantern, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. are um, two cops that we, we never see before. I don't even think they're given names. They are, you know, guarding Laurie's house because, of course, you know, when a, when a notorious serial killer is on the loose and going after one specific person you only need two cops on duty to to keep an eye on on things it's one squad car ought to to do it um but they have an extended riff on bond me sandwiches (laughs) which again is is amusing it's completely you know irrelevant to 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 the plot at hand and then you know, again, minutes later, a horrific series of murders takes place. <laughs> it's just, you know, you give me a minute to digest the these, you know, the humor before you are, you know, stomping people's heads in, before you are slashing people to death. And it's just, it's very and and again, I'm a big fan of of horror comedy. It's it, you know, when it's done well, it's it's wonderful. Like like Shaun of the Dead, American World in London. But there's just, you know, it's too it's un, it's very uneven here. Yes. I, it, it, because it yo-yos so back and forth because it is both attempting to be Halloween 78 and it is not really attempting to be scream. This is just, there are these slice of life comedy moments that I think if they were a line or two would be very acceptable. If you were just, you were brought into the middle of that conversation while they were having it, you just cut to the cop car and he goes, a bond me is a great sandwich. I know you're, you don't do the, but I had them make you a bond me. That's just peanut butter and jelly. And he goes, I'm not going to eat that. Oh, what's that? I would be fine. That sequence lasts what feels like five minutes yeah. of them talking. And it throws off the rhythm of what it's trying to do. 
And I think like April Wolf, a friend of the pod and uh, her who shot your partner, Alonzo Duralde, in each of their reviews brought up that tonal inconsistency and the superfluousness of some of these characters. And I, I think some of this it has to do with having too many plot lines. The the babysitting element of this is almost feels rote. Aside yeah, from the characterization, that kid, uh, Vicky, who plays, she's on Runaway. She's very funny at that. The guy who plays Dave Miles Robbins was was really good in Blockers this year. Like everyone who's a teen in that cast was fucking fantastic. So they're they're fun actors and, and shit, but it it feels like you don't need babysitter murders in this, and it kind of just throws in teens to have them. Right. And, and, and I think that I don't think Green and McBride are clearly fans of the genre or at least fans of Halloween, but mm-hmm. I don't think either of them are suited to write it well. It was, I mean, it was creepy, but not particularly scary. And I think it was more creepy in terms of how certain scenes were shot. Like there was a pretty great tracking scene. Where he mm-hmm. he just kind of is walking around, you know, unnoticed. How he's unnoticed, I have no idea. He's an enormous man wearing wearing mm-hmm. a you know, a creepy mask, but he's just basically just walking into people's houses and just murdering them, and then walking right back out again. It's all one tracking shot, and it and it's well, that's the crazy. It isn't just one tracking shot. There's multiple cuts, obvious cuts throughout it. So if they were attempting to go for that long panaglide. That's what I was expecting and then became very disconcerned when they constantly cut throughout it, making obvious editor edits out of the sequence. And that's that happens throughout the first hour. There's just unnecessary cutting happening. Yeah. And you're like, what is, why did, why did they feel the need to truncate drama and dread in order to, service more time for people to have funny conversations it's just it doesn't seem like that was the point of this movie and then you have um allison's boyfriend who 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 is set up now this is could be entirely intentional and and probably if you ask the filmmakers they would say yes that absolutely was intentional just like mm-hmm. you know joe esther hosclay the showgirls was always supposed to be a comedy mm-hmm, sure right okay mm-hmm. <laughs> that you know allison's boyfriend is set up as a very obvious victim that that he will you know get his he will get his due from michael myers because he just you know again a very tonal shift just turns out to be kind of an asshole who, yeah. who who throws her cell phone into a bowl of pink Cool Whip? It looks like it, look, it almost looks like cheese, like a bowl of loose melted cheese, or like a bowl of the stuff or something. It was like this 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 thick viscous material. It's like someone made a punch bowl of roux, or like or like just filled it with shaving cream or something. And I'm like, oh, you can get your phone out of there. Come on. Just, just you know, reach in there, wipe it off. You, you'll, you'll, you'll be, you'll be sound as a pound. Come on. Yeah, that family's just made of cell phones. I'm telling you, if you come home and you say my boyfriend, who's kind of a dick, threw my phone in this vat of nacho cheese, <laughs> and I said, "Well, did you get it? Do you think we can fix it?" And they said, "Oh, I left it there." 
that's when we're going to have real problems because I can't control your douchey boyfriend, but I can control whether or not you reach into that vat of cheese and grab that <laughs> cell phone and maybe wipe it off with a paper towel. Yeah, I, I expect I fully expected there would be a moment where he would show up later and, and try to apologize or or just try to see her. And then, you know, Michael Myers would show up and you know, dispatch him in one horrifying way or another. Nope. He just kind of, he just disappears. We, we, we never hear from him again. He's never mentioned again. He's presumably still at that dance. You know, whenever actually it's supposed to be, it's actually in the future from when we're recording this because (laughs) it was supposed to be Halloween of this year. Yeah. He's probably dancing the night away with that tiger lady. But Um, instead instead we kill off poor Oscar. One of one of, I don't think, is it poor Oscar? I feel, I feel kind of bad for Oscar. Oscar had he, his moment, and then he immediately realized that he 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 should not have, he should not have done what he did. True, I will I will give you that that he once he realizes immediately apologizes, but he also plays it off like um, I'm drunk and all the girls at the dance got me horny. He he begins to make excuses other than taking personal responsibility for for thinking that wonderful fuckboy attitude of I'm a boy and you are a girl within my dick's range. So you must want it. I, I will say that, that he gives you not, not since uh, Scotty in, in, in Boogie Nights has someone given the most convincing. I'm sorry. I'm really drunk right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> because, because who, who among us has not uttered the phrase, I'm sorry. I'm really drunk right now. <laughs> <laughs> After 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 doing after doing or saying something embarrassing. That's very, very true. Absolutely. One hundred percent true. <laughs> and his death, I think, is one of the best horror sequences in the entire thing, which revolves around Michael Myers and a motion detector light and him assuming that the the yard that he's in, that it's actually the homeowner that he's talking to, and it turns out to be Michael Myers. I think that sequence is really well done. And um, it's, it's certainly one of the best body reveals in the entire movie. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that was another one that the whole audience went. Because ah. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's 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 bad, but you don't think it's that bad. And it turns out to be real bad. So uh, I, I like that part. But, you know, are those teen characters necessary? Are they a distract, you know, should they have been the main focus and Laurie Strode been more of a Loomis character who's just haunting around the periphery and she's the woman that people don't talk about. I feel like if these two guys weren't the best people to write this, they should have damn well had, had at least one woman in that room. Yeah. Because that is the advantage that, that, that Carpenter has is that he has Deborah Hill. And she makes those teen characters sing and sound like real people and and women with complicated high school relationships. And this kind of skims that everything is played off of casting it well, because I think all those teens are cast well and they're good actors. Um, I, I found their deaths genuinely, you know, affecting uh, unlike I think April and Alonzo were like, Ugh, what's the fucking point? I, I liked them, but I, f- I found the, the shifts of trying to, to play every generation 
of the Strodes, that's where it's like one of these things has to fucking give. Yeah, I I mean the the everything with 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 Laurie and Karen is a completely different movie from everything with the teenagers. Yeah, yes. that's that's where all the that's where all the drama is and all the horror and slasher elements come in where on in the in the in the B plot with all the teenagers and then and then you know eventually they kind of come together not, not always all that effectively but well this this the squeeze play i think works the the worst for judy greer and judy greer is a very appealing actress who seems to now be condemned to roles in which she scolds people for their inadequacies. She's constantly, she's constantly fretting. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a, 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 she should, if they ever do another Popeye, she needs to play olive oil because <laughs> she is, she's like, Oh, Oh goodness. Oh. And, and it's just, you know, that's all she does. She frets. She frets in every role. She, and, and she's usually like kind of the humorless ex-wife or the humorless daughter-in-law or the humorless mom. And it's just, you know, it's like, get, get this woman some better parts. Yeah. I, and I will say this. I did not anticipate how very satisfying the end, specifically with her, would be. when there, Yeah, that was a, that was when, a nice surprise. That was a really nice surprise. And did did I laugh and guffaw out loud at the various ho- original Halloween references when Laurie Strode, you know, goes over backwards off of a second story balcony and lands in the grass and then Michael looks back over and she's gone. But you got the exact same stinger. Yeah. The exact same. I mean, and that's the other part that we, that we should get to is that John Carpenter needs to do more movie music. I don't need him to direct movies. He doesn't want to, but I do need him to do more movie music because he's really, really fucking good at it. If no one has noticed up until now, he has my seal of approval. Me, (laughs) a Hollywood nobody. (laughs) Uh, and the sequence where Michael finally discovers that there's something hidden underneath the kitchen island, and then she comes out from behind the shadows in that slow light reveal, like Michael did in the first one. I adored that. That is pure geek food. And I can see someone who honestly takes cinema much more serious than seriously than me going. Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> but it worked for me. Oh yeah. Like I said, you can, it, it was made for all of its flaws. It, I genuinely believe, believe it was made with love. I, I yeah. think it's just, it, it was made by people who maybe don't have the chops to write horror. And I'm not trying to say like, Oh, you know, it takes a special kind of person to write horror. I mean, it kind of does. But I mean, you know, horror isn't comedy. It's you know, just because you are good, and I admittedly I don't think I've seen any any David Gordon Green's other movies, but I believe this I'm pretty sure this is horror the first time for horror for both of them. And I get the sense they're not entirely comfortable with it. Like do you, do you see I think they, the like I could t- you could tell all the all the wisecracks and all the jokes were written by Danny McBride. It just has that feel. 
And then mm-hmm. I, I, it just, like I said, it kind of, it very much feels like two separate movies kind of glommed together. Um, it could have used more focus. Um, the one thing you absolutely get for sure when you watch the Carpenter original is that it is very confidently constructed. Everything is intentional. He only allows you to see what he wants you to see. And he does not allow you to see anything else. Um, it is almost, I would put it right next to something like taxi driver in terms of pure directorial muscle on screen, because everything is focusing you on the exact mood moment that you should be focused on and nothing else It's hypnotizing in that way. And I think David Gordon Green is is a fine filmmaker and this is just beyond his current reach. And so this also makes me very glad he did not get to do that Suspiria remake that he wanted to do. Oh, good heavens. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, I I have very high hopes for the, uh, the version of it's coming out soon, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't, after watching this, I don't think that he would be a good fit for that at all. Um, the other element that I think I we've we've talked about almost everything else, but the other thing is the twist. Yeah. Let's talk about the twist, and that is we we talked about it briefly. In that doctor, <laughs> doctor hummus that makes you poop, um, has decided that he is the one who frees Michael, and he reveals this to a, the local sheriff, who's the old hand who was there in seventy eight as well. And he reveals this in a villain's monologue (laughs) while the, while Allison and a currently passed out from being hit by a car, Michael Myers is in the back seat and it makes no sense to me. And it nearly sank the film for me. I I don't know about you. Yeah. It was just, I don't, it was just so forced and silly and this, this doctor is like he's obsessed with getting with getting Michael to say something. He, yes. he just he just wants to hear him talk, and and I I don't know you know, you would think I mean for one thing you would think that after forty years of obsessing about this someone might have taken him off the job at some point. <laughs> The, the 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 whole movie the, the movie kind of suggests that he's the only one running the place at the at the at the psychiatric hospital, mm-hmm. and, and and I realize that that is definitely a a horror and suspense movie trope that you know one person usually someone with with sinister motivations runs a psychiatric hospital all by himself. He doesn't mm-hmm. have he doesn't have a staff of other doctors. He doesn't have anybody he has to answer to. I mean, he might as well be paying the, the rent and electricity on the place by himself. <laughs> and that's that's I don't I don't even want to say that's how it used to be. I don't think that's ever how it was. I don't think you know there's ever been a time when a a hospital filled with potentially hundreds of mentally ill people, some of them violently mentally ill has been, you know, you know, fully overseen and run by one individual person. Yeah. Even Loomis had a, a, a hierarchy that he had to talk to. He had a bureaucracy that he was running up against. Uh, that's made very evident in the, in the 78 original. So this, this is an odd sort of tacked on thing where, 
this is what this was his plan all along and he has a harpoon pen and it just feels like they needed a way to get Allison taken back to to her grandmother's house yeah it's, and I mean, this it's, is it's, the only way to do it it's a little silly enough that you know it kind of goes one step further with 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 uh with Loomis being obsessed with the idea that that he he is pure evil um you know the whole you know the blackest eyes the mm. devil's eyes, devil's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> you know it that you know that's it, it, it takes it one step further with this doctor just absolutely just you know spending 40 years you know wanting to know what 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 makes this guy tick and it occurs to me is he the only person in the entire place that's killed people <laughs> because because i mean if you watch like shows like like uh like like mind hunter killer serial killers like to talk <laughs> so i mean that's the whole point of that show mind hunter that that you know all you need to do is get these people talking and they will tell you whatever you want to hear and i i find it a little hard to believe that it, it has to be this guy it has to be this person that he, he's got to know what he was possibly thinking when he was killing all these people you know that that's you know kind of pushing the, the the limits of plausibility you know, enough as it is but then it turns into oh wait i want to personally know what it feels like to kill someone <laughs> and it's like well that took a hard left turn what <laughs> it would have been really fun is if he goes all i want him to do is to talk and if michael goes well all you had to do was ask so anyways i really want to kill women <laughs> <laughs> for like 10 minutes of a monologue of him where he's where he uses the voice you never expected him to have and he goes ah, i don't know like i just see them with their soft bodies and their long hands something makes me want to stab them and he's just got like, but i hate guys too it's like it's it's kind of even for me like i like stabbing everybody <laughs> he's just kind of sitting there with like a cigarette and you know <laughs> finally getting it off his chest after all these years just, just, it's really hard to stay silent and, and, and be all uh, mysterious and whatnot, but I really like talking to you. I think you should have asked me earlier. Yeah, just just because you know, you're gonna come back, right? You're gonna talk to me again, please, <laughs> doctor. Oh, yeah, no, okay. <laughs> but yeah, just like as I did have a little forehead slapping. Really, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Really, <laughs> L- luckily it, it it does not last very long. You know, yeah. even you know, Michael seems as exasperated as the audience does at this at this turn of events. I I did like when Michael is finally trapped in the pizza oven of death that he looks up through the bars at this threesome of of strodes and he kind of has a look in his face like really, really, <laughs> all right. This how's gonna this how's gonna go? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they've, they've burned me a couple times now and it really hasn't worked so far but okay well no no and we no, never see him he, he, he was not burned in 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 the first one it was a, if you're only going based on the first one he was not burned until the that's that's one. very very true uh so it would have been kind of it would have been kind of great though if like you know kind of shows him lowering into the flame and he kind of gives the thumbs up like terminator <laughs> He reached through the bars with his fist on fire. With a <laughs> thumbs up. Exactly. Uh, he got me this time. <laughs> <laughs> boop, 
gives the finger guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that that pretty much rounds it out. Of course, uh, we could always choose your own death venture of all the deaths that we saw throughout this movie. And there are many and varied. If you had to choose one to die from, which one would you choose and why? Oh, I mean, definitely the the you know, the show the showstopper, the the one that you know got my audience uh, uh, both you know gasping and 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 you know, murmuring in 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 pleasure was uh, was uh, Doctor Satan getting getting his his head stomped dead. That was that was pretty gnarly. <laughs> that 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 was pretty gnarly. Yes, I I listen. It's much better. I w- the one I would not choose is be uh, stabbed in the neck by a harpoon pen. Absolutely off the table for me. Um, I would probably also take the head stomping. It's probably the best way to go. I do not want Michael Myers fixation on anti-gravity deaths uh, is uh, has become a real thing. Like he only did it one time in that first movie, but he likes to suspend people by stuff. I was really hoping for a get bunked. Uh, in this movie and it, it didn't happen for me so yeah this uh, was like very surprisingly sexless slasher movie which which is mm-hmm. which is which is fine um but i mean you know not not a you know not an exposed boob in sight i mean you know possibly vaguely implied that perhaps vicky and her and her boyfriend might have sex at some point i think it was suggested that he had gotten the tattoo to signify that they were going to lose their virginity together i think which i, I would, think which, so all right i guess that's okay (laughs) um but i mean that's that's uh you know that's about it it was pretty you pretty pretty puritanical as far as that's concerned Mm -hmm. so that's a plus i'll I'll give it that um yeah i i would totally get my head stomped that's my choose your own death venture um because i love dr hummus makes you poop that much he's my favorite character uh so that pretty much does it um for this episode don't worry the body count will continue we'll be back with more friday the 13th 2009 coming up um before we go of course gina want you uh thank our glorious uh supporters on patreon uh this time around i want to say thank you to anna um tisa gilliard Daniel Reefershied, I really hope I'm pronouncing your last name right, and Benjamin White. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you very much. Of course, if you would like to support us on Patreon, and we would love that, uh, go to patreon.com and look up or patreon.com slash kill by kill, and you will find us. Uh, if you are unable to spare the change, hey, we get it. Uh, time in this economy support a podcast uh there are other ways to support us you can help us out on social media uh you can like us on facebook you can follow us on instagram at kill by kill podcast you can follow us on twitter at kill by kill pod and uh retweet us when we have a new episode that's that's very helpful um and of course uh you can read all of gina's uh most of gina's review on GinaRadcliffe.com. and also you just had a Big uh, run of uh, screenings at the Brooklyn Horror Fest. I did. I saw five movies. Uh, Hopefully they will all be picked up for uh, general distribution. I saw um, Level 16, The Rusalka, um, Empathy, Inc., um, 
Antrim, the uh, the world's deadliest movie, which probably our our, uh, our our listeners would probably find the most enjoyable, and um, uh, Tower of Bright Day, which is a very spooky Polish movie, very similar to um, Good Night, Mommy, which was a, a another creepy kid movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you can find my reviews of those on um, on alcohollywood.com. Okay. Uh, and of course, until next time, for myself and Gina Radcliffe, bye bye, everybody. Bye. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous chilling and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. Gateway of the Mind. Expressionless. Smiled. No end. Death. Robert the Dog. The Ray. Russian Sleep Experiment. And more. Creepypastas are the urban legends of the digital age. The name comes from copy, paste, ah. Stories that have been passed around the internet person to person, each making changes, sharing their own take. When that take is horror, the creepypastas begin to take hold. Not all creepypastas come from multiple sources. Many have no known point of origin at all. Author credits are listed when known. For more information, including pictures and videos of the stories told on this podcast, or to suggest stories for future episodes, please visit us at CreepyPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or email. 